Amen. Well, today's scripture reading is from 1 Timothy 3. We're actually launching a new series of sermons called God's House. And this morning we're starting with 1 Timothy 3, and we're reading the first seven verses. This is the reading of God's word. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well and with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own house, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Amen. That's the reading of God's word. Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks this morning as we we gather together, and most of us come here needing a word from you. Uh, And I pray, God, that this morning we would hear your voice. I pray that we would hear your voice speaking to us about your church, your bride, your body. Teach us what it means to be part of it and love it and grow as people of, of your sacred community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. St- starting today, we're starting a new series of sermons on the idea of God's church and God's house. And we're trying to figure out what is the church all about. You know, in the Middle Ages, um, Christians built massive cathedrals. Uh, we just learned about the devastating fires that affected the Notre Dame c- Cathedral in Paris. And that Notre Dame Cathedral is very typical of the massive cathedrals that were built during the Middle Ages. That cathedral, Notre Dame Cathedral, took up 100 years to build, close to 100 years to build. It took another 100 years uh, to fill it with all the embellishments and all the decorations and all the statues and all the ornaments that were outside of that cathedral. It took 200 years to build Notre Dame Cathedral. And it's very typical of how Christians in that period thought of church. Church was a building. It was a place where you experienced the transcendence of God, the beauty of God, the otherworldly nature of God. Christians today, it's not so much about buildings. We don't build those kind of massive cathedrals anymore. Christians today meet anywhere and everywhere. They meet in uh, school auditoriums. Some Christians meet outdoors. They meet in amphitheaters. It's not so much about buildings anymore, but about experiences. A lot of Christians today, church is about an experience. There is this tremendous worship team. There are lights. There is an experience that you have with God. There's charismatic teachers who uh, preach. Uh, Is that what church is about? Have we gone from buildings to an experience? Now today, a lot of people, they don't even go to a physical church. There's church online. There is church that you can stream over the internet in the comfort of your own bed. There are podcasts. You can listen to sermons on the way to work. And some people wonder, well, do we even need a physical church anymore? Uh, What is the purpose of church anyways? And throughout the series, we're kind of exploring the idea of what is really the church all about? Is it a building? Is it experience? Is it information? And throughout the series, we want to get back to what the, the word says, which is the church is actually the community of the king. 
The church is the community of the king. It's a sacred community where God is building his people to be a light to the world. And throughout the series, we're going to be unfolding the mysteries and the beauties of the church. This morning, we want to talk about the leadership of the church. And I'm doing that specifically, and I'm actually skipping to chapter 3 specifically because right after our service, we have actually the opportunity to nominate and get the process going of electing our first elders. So we're going to talk about that. And this morning I want to look at why do we need elders? Why do we need leaders in a church? What, what is their position? What are they doing? How, as a member or as a visitor, am I shaping the church? Am I a part of that process of electing leaders? So today as we talk about leaders, we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about our need for leaders. Secondly, what are the qualities of true spiritual leadership? And third, how do they point to our ultimate leader? How is it all about him? The first thing I want to look at is our need for leaders. Starting from today, we're looking at 1 Timothy. Timothy is a book written by the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was a former Jewish zealot who persecuted the church, but he had this radical encounter with Jesus. And after that, he started to preach the gospel. God commissioned him to preach the word all throughout what is now known as the modern Mediterranean. He went all throughout that region, and he would speak the gospel. He would also start churches. And to do that, he needed a lot of help, obviously. And one of his key helpers, his key disciples, his right-hand man, was a young minister. His name was Timothy. And Paul writes this letter, 1 Timothy, to encourage Timothy as he's in a congregation ministering in the trenches of ministry to encourage him. He gives him instructions on what is the church about. How can we build the church up? Paul writes this letter to him to encourage him. In 1 Timothy 3, Paul tells Timothy to look out for certain people who they the people can call as elders. He talks about the leadership of the church. Paul's strategy for planning churches was essentially to go to a new region, preach the gospel, and when people responded and became Christians, he built them up. And when the church was ready, uh, the church elected elders. And when the church elected elders, that's when Paul would leave. He's like, you guys are good now. You have your leaders. I'm going to go to another region, another area. The real focus of Paul's missionary efforts was, in one sense, building up leadership or elders so they can be self-sustaining. They can have local leadership. Leadership is a real critical part of what makes the church grow and what makes the church work. Why do we need leaders? You know, some churches, they see the church as organic, spirit-led. Uh, It doesn't really need leaders. Other organizations have a very democratic process where every person gets a vote. Uh, So why do we need leaders, specific leaders, to lead the church? And all throughout 1 Timothy, he tells us really why we need leaders or more specifically elders. And the first reason he lists is that the church needs elders to keep the church on mission. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul spells that out. He talks about some things that were going on. He says in verse 3, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. 
The problem in Paul's time was there are all kinds of false teachers. In the Old Testament, there are false prophets. In the New Testament, there are all kinds of false teachers. In Timothy's time and Paul's time, there are all these false spiritual teachers teaching about all of these uh, theories, these uh, ideas about angels and demons and the afterlife. All these false ideas, and it was totally confusing people. They're confusing those lies with the truths of God. And Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, be aware of all these false teachers. And he says in chapter 6, at the very end of the book, he says, guard the good deposit. Good deposit is the gospel. Guard it. And he says, avoid the irrelevant babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Paul is saying, at this time, there are all these false teachers, counterfeit truths. And he's encouraging Timothy, Timothy, you need to speak the truth. You also need to raise up leaders to protect that truth from being corrupted. You know, we live in an age of misinformation. We live in an age in which uh, there is fake news, where the truth is manipulated, where my cell phone gets blown up every week by these texts, these IRS scams, these phone calls, these voice messages promoting something completely false. Uh, I read a recent report that one in ten people have fallen prey to phone scams. The reason you get so many texts is that people fall for that. And, it's, and they're often very clever. They're often very manipulative. That's the same way with the, uh, the Christian church. We live in a day and age where a lot of people are led astray uh, from the truth of God. Many people get their information from the internet, their spiritual sermons uh, from the television. And uh, many of that, not all of it, but some of it leads people astray. One of the biggest movements right now is called the prosperity gospel. And it's the, one of the biggest movements globally uh, that, that in many ways are le- leading people astray. Uh, The prosperity gospel, in essence, says that God wants you to be rich, wealthy, and he wants you to be healthy. He can heal any disease, any sickness that you have. He can make you very wealthy. You just need to believe that, even though Jesus was never healthy or wealthy. Now, think about that. Even though Jesus was not on the cross and in his life, Jesus was not healthy or wealthy. But they proclaim that if you believe in Jesus, who is not healthy or wealthy, you can have all those things. And more than being false, it also turns people away from the real good news of Jesus. That news is way better than the health and wealth gospel. And what Paul is telling uh, his people, telling Timothy, is we need leaders to protect that truth, to keep the church on message, to keep the church, the purity of the good news pure. That's why one of the things that Paul says is elect elders who are able to teach You know, look for leaders who love the word and will protect it. Uh, The church needs leaders because it needs people to to protect the truth, to keep the church on message. But secondly, the church needs elders because we each need to be personally cared for. All God's people need to be personally cared for. The calling of elders not just to teach, but to care. First Timothy 3, 5, Paul says, elders are to care for God's church. Uh, we live in a time and age in which churches are getting uh, really uh, focused on size and also technology. But the downside of that is many people are not personally cared for. And Paul's strategy is to, to have the people elect elders 
who can be down on the ground, who can speak truth to them, who can care for them. In 1 Peter 5, Peter tells elders to shepherd the flock. Another name for an elder is a shepherd. It's someone who's going to walk with you through the difficulties of life. All of us are going to face heartache. We're gonna, we might lose our job. We might lose loved ones. We're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And in that valley, we all need people in our lives uh, to walk with us, to speak very specific truths that are appropriate in our life, to weep with us. I was reading an article about the, uh, the growing tide of artificial intelligence. And many people believe that automation will soon replace a lot of jobs. And I was reading a section about jobs least affected by AI. Jobs least affected. And they are things like a dancer, an artist, a model, modeling, and finally, a pastor or a religious worker. And I read that and I was like, oh man, I'm safe, I'm good, I'm straight. And I was like, man, I should also learn to dance, to double up, be like a dancing pastor. And man, robots cannot touch me. You know, I'm like, got to just make extra sure of that. Make sure the robots aren't coming for me. But, you know, when you think about it, the reason why AI can't replace or technology can't replace a pastor or an elder is that we need actual people to speak truth into our life. We need specific truth that is specific to us, not just to the masses, but to us. We need someone who can look us in the eye and weep with us. We need someone to hold our hand. We need someone to give us an, an, a word of encouragement that can lift us, our spirits. And the plan of Paul is not just to have massive groups of people, but to shepherd them individually and lovingly. And Paul's strategy is to raise up elders, uh, not just pastors, but elders, people who are not specifically called to preach the word, but people who are called to love God's people. And that's what an elder does. You know, one of the plans for our church is that uh, we are seeking to elect, have our congregation elect a few elders and have those elders in different regions of Los Angeles, in the South Bay, in downtown, in northeast Los Angeles. And each of those elders would be tasked to care for people in that region. Uh, to visit their homes, to pray with them, to love them. And as our church grows, the plan is to elect even more elders, that everyone in some sense would have someone in their region that they can call, they can text, uh, that they can turn to, that they can pray with. And that's the whole idea of an elder. An elder is someone very close to you in your region who can speak to you the truth of God, who can encourage you. That's why we need elders. Paul gives us a vision for elders as a person who would love God's truth and walk with us and speak that truth in a gentle, loving, compassionate way. So the second point is this. What, what, what do those leaders look like? Because in a Presbyterian church like ours, we're called to elect our own leaders. or We're called to elect our own elders. Uh, what does that look like? What are the qualities of elders? Well, there's a couple of things. There's a long list in First Timothy 3. But to simplify it, I just want to say it's about two things. The first thing is about character. So if you look at that list, verse 2 and 3, what stands out to you is this idea of character. It says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, 
not a lover of money. First of all, the elder is supposed to be above reproach. That doesn't mean they're perfect, but they cannot be accused. They cannot be uh, criticized. Uh, but their life has an overall purity and integrity about them. It's above reproach. In verse 2 and 3, the, the idea is self-control. These are individuals who have self-control. They're able to keep their desires in check. They're first able to keep their lust in check. It says that they're a husband of one woman, one wife. In ancient times in the first century, it was a common for men to be promiscuous. Uh, and here Paul says, no, there needs to be a sexual purity in their marriage. Secondly, they keep their emotions in check. It says not violent, but gentle. Uh, they don't fly off the handle, but they're able to keep their emotions in check. Verse 3, it says that their drinking is in check. They're not a drunkard. The Bible, on the one hand, celebrates drinking in some sense, but not drunkenness. They don't let that alcohol take control of their life. Uh, finally, it says that they are to be a person, in verse 3, not a lover of money. That greed doesn't dominate their life. The desire for more and more and more isn't the thing that they're looking for in life. It's not that desires are bad, but their desire for God is greater. They have desires, but they're held in check out of a greater love for God. That's their everything. That's their chief desire and their love for people. Elders are people of character. Um, why is character so important in leadership? And the answer is that a leader without character will eventually lose their way. You know, there's, in our culture today, we tend to overlook character when we look for our leaders. Uh, we overlook characters and we want competence. We want people who are highly educated, who are highly skilled. We want our leaders to produce results. And that's all that matters. They could produce results, the results that we want. They're highly effective. They're highly efficient. They're highly educated and skilled. And we overlook this idea of character. But what happens when we overlook character? You know, so many organizations today are embroiled in scandal. Why? They have people, they have leaders without character. You know, that happens at, with CEOs, it happens in churches, and, and uh, it happens in politics. There are countless scandals that we hear of every week of leaders who are arrested, who are embezzling money, who are sexually abusing people. And all of that is a scandal and a crisis of character. And what the Bible says is that what's chief and what's front is leaders with character. Character, men look on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. And the heart is the most central thing. The character is the chief attribute of any leader that God calls. But the second and final thing is that not just character, but compassion. Not just character, but compassion. An elder is someone who not only has character, but has a soft heart. It's compassion. And we see that in verse 2. One of the characters of an elder is that they are hospitable. Uh, a hospital person opens up their house to people. They love people. They open up. There's a warmth about their life. And they are constantly making their table longer to include people. An elderly person, is. it says in verse 5, For someone does not know how to manage his own household well, how will he care for God's church? And one of the chief purposes and characteristics of an elder is that he cares for people. That word care in the Greek is only used one other time, the whole New Testament. And that happens, that 
it takes place in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus tells a story about a man on a way to, to a city. And he, on the way, he gets beaten up, he gets robbed, he gets left for dead. Pastor and priest walk by him. And they walk on the other side. They don't want any part of him. They don't want to get unclean. They, they have a lot of things to do. There's one individual, a Samaritan man, who sees this man who's beaten up and left for dead. What does he do? It says he, he cares for him. What does the care mean? It says that he looks upon him and he bandages his wounds. He pours oil on it. He puts him on his horse, his animal takes him to an inn, pays for all of his expenses, and goes and checks on him afterward. And that is the heart of an elder. That idea of compassion is something that all of, not just leaders, but all God's people, they're to have that heart of compassion. You know, I love this story about an African-American man, uh, a group of African-American men this last week. They're eating at a diner in Alabama. And one of the men, Jamaria Howard, spotted an elderly woman. She was eating alone. She was eating by herself. And this is what he says. He says, my exact thoughts were, I'd I'd hate to eat alone. So after thinking about it a minute, I walked over to her and I asked if I can sit with her. And he, this young African-American man was sitting with this lady, this, this elderly lady, and she started talking to him. She said, you know what? My husband just passed away. And she says, tomorrow would be our 60th anniversary. And she was sitting there kind of thinking about that. And Jamara Howard offered his condolences, his deepest sympathies. He says, hey, why don't you come and eat with us? Uh, Join us. We would love to have you and share this meal with you. And afterwards, they snapped a picture of themselves to celebrate this pleasant occasion. And Jamara Howard was kind of embodying that spirit of compassion. This is what he says afterward. He says, the point in this is always to be kind and nice to people. You never know what they're going through. He says, this woman changed my outlook on life and how I look at other people. Everyone has a story, so don't judge them. Jamari Howard was doing what the Bible commands, which is compassion. (laughs) Open up his heart and his table for a stranger. Hearing their story. And that's such a powerful call for all God's people because God himself has that heart of compassion. That's God's heart. And Paul is saying leaders should have God's heart. You know, leaders should have that spirit that Jesus has. And this is the final thing is that leaders ultimately, they they point forward to Jesus. And leaders and elders specifically are to have that heart of compassion Because that's the heart of our true leader, Jesus. You know, when you think about our elders and our leaders in the church, they're imperfect. They will fail you at some point in time. Uh, I love this quote by a wise and veteran elder. He says, if you want a better pastor, pray for the pastor you have. He says, if you want a better pastor, man, pray for the pastor you have because he needs all the support he can get. You know, uh, I know so many pastors who are burnt out, who are discouraged, who are uh, broken up, because ministry is hard. You know, call, being called to do the work of Jesus is hard work. Pray for your pastors. Also know that your pastors are very imperfect people. Elders are very imperfect people. They are sinful and flawed, just like the rest of us. But the calling of a faithful pastor or elder 
is simply to show people, point people to Jesus. You know, your elders, your pastors, your leaders will fail you, but we're not to place our ultimate hope in human leaders. Ultimately, our human leaders are just signposts to Jesus. He's our true and perfect leader. You know, in First uh, Peter, or Ephesians 2, Paul talks about Jesus being the cornerstone of the church. He says he's the cornerstone of the church. He's what the church is all about. The cornerstone in ancient buildings was uh, a stone pivotal to the foundation of, the, of a building. It was an exact, it was made with exact specifications. It was a foundational piece. It was perfectly chiseled and every other stone in that foundation followed after the line of that one foundational piece. It was the cornerstone. And what Paul is saying is that the strongest piece, this piece that upholds everything else in this building called the church is Christ. He is that piece. If you ever play Jenga toward the end of that game, there's always that one piece that if you hit that piece, that man, the whole thing is going to fall down. Uh, that's the cornerstone. The cornerstone, the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. Not any human leaders, not anybody else, but he's the cornerstone. He's the key thing in the church. He's the thing that we're always supposed to lean on and point toward. If you ever played, uh, if you ever talked about this idea of spiritual leaders, you know that uh, only Jesus is that perfect leader. We talked about the true characteristics of a spiritual leader. We said that they're self-controlled and they're compassionate. But think about Jesus as that true spiritual leader. You know, Jesus had all the power and authority of God because he was God. And he came down to earth and he still had all that power and authority. You know, think about all these leaders who have power and authority and what they do with them. Sometimes they use that power and authority and wealth to enrich themselves and their family and their friends. They hoard it. They empower themselves. But Jesus had all the power and authority of the world. And what did he do with it? He used it only for others. You know, Jesus had all the power and authority and he's only using it to bless, to heal, to give. Ultimately, he gives his whole life away. Jesus had that power, but he had the self-control to only use it for others, to only bless and to give. Jesus was the true and compassionate high priest. He has come to this earth to sacrifice his very life for us. On the cross, people were telling Jesus, Jesus, man, if you really have, if you're really God, you have all the power and authority to get down from that cross, why would you stay there? And why did he stay there? but to give his life as a sacrifice for many. Jesus is the true, the ultimate leader. Jesus calls himself the true shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And the real heart of the church is to point people to Jesus. Jesus is the power, the life-giving power. You know, right in the very beginning of 1 Timothy, Paul talks about why Jesus is so important to the church and why he's everything. And he talks about his own testimony. Paul says, I was a religious zealot. In the book of Acts, we see that Paul was responsible for the death of Stephen. He gave approval for the murder of a faithful follower of Christ. Paul had blood on his hands. And as he was walking in his blindness, God appeared to him, opened up his eyes. God forgave him for all of his sin. And Paul was so grateful because of that. That's why he says in 1 Timothy 1.15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance 
that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says, I'm, God chose me to be the greatest missionary because I was the worst person. Paul says, I was the chief of sinners. I was the worst person. Yet God forgave me as an example so that anybody can say, God can lo- if God can love and change Paul, he can love and change me. And Paul was so enraptured with Jesus because of what he had done in his life. And he was so focused on Jesus. And he was so all about preaching Jesus. And he tells Timothy, Timothy, don't move on from Jesus in the gospel. Because that's a life-changing power. Is Jesus Christ and his love and his power. And that's really what the church is all about. Is preaching that message of truth. That life-giving power. I'll close with this. You know, this last season, a lot of people in L.A. have been infatuated with the super bloom. You all know about the super bloom. If, you, if you're on social media, you've seen your Instagram feed blow up with like pictures of people in the super bloom. These flowers uh, in the desert. And what's so impressive about flowers? You know, what's so impressive about that? Uh, people drive a couple hours, have been driving a couple hours into the desert to take pictures of this. The only thing that can pe- make people in L.A. get in their cars and drive two hours to the desert is Coachella and the Superbloom. Those are the only things. that has a power to get people out of their cars into the desert. What's so impressive about those flowers? And when you think about it, what's so impressive about those flowers is that they're occurring in the desert. In the desert. Two years ago, if you dri- drove to Riverside County, if you drove to those areas... Uh, what you would see is a literal desert. There'd be, there's no one taking pictures two years ago in those places. No one's posting Instagram pictures of that barren, brown, dark desert when nothing is growing. But what happened this last year? Well, there's been a torrential rainfall in those desert-like places. And you know, in those desert-like places, there were seeds and flowers that were dormant underground. And the water seeped into that ground. That rainfall drenched that, that land. And it rose up all this beauty. All this color. All of this life. You know, the grace of God is like that. Uh, the power of God. And that's why Paul was so excited. He says, I was dead in my sin. I was dead. There was no life. And this grace of God, it was like that water that poured into my life. And out of death sprung this life. Out of the death of Christ came the resurrection, the power of new life. And what Paul is saying to the church is lean on that power. The church is not just an institution. It's not a bureaucratic organization of leaders. But the church is a spirit-filled place. It's a temple where God's spirit and God's power come alive. It's a place where dead people Rise to new life. It's where the power of the gospel is present. Where the spirit of Christ dwells within his church. And we are called to be that place where Jesus is so alive. His good news saturates every part of it. And we're called to have leaders who are always talking about that and always pointing people to that. We need leaders to preach that truth, embody 
that truth. And as we close then, would you commit yourself to a few things this morning? Would you pray for your leaders? You know, they, they are on the front lines trying to do that good work. Secondly, would you ask yourself, God, are you calling me to be a leader? You know, the church needs leaders, needs people uh, who go from the background to the foreground. Uh, would you consider yourself? Uh, right after we elect elders, we, we're asking our church to elect deacons, the hands and feet of the church, uh, who bless the poor, who love and pray for all of his people. Would you ask God, God, would you have me in mind to be your leader? Finally, ask God uh, to use this church to be a beacon of light in this city. Uh, in whatever we do, if we're not a leader, if we're just supporting the church, well, we pray that we could be a part of a ministry uh, here in L.A. that can show people the brilliance and the beauty of Jesus. Will we do that together for God's kingdom? Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks this morning as we think about your church and we recognize that your church is not just a building It's not just an experience, but it is your beloved community. And we are called to experience the brilliance and beauty of the gospel here and to spread that good news to everyone who would listen. So I pray that you would be with us as we are in a season of discernment, a season of raising up leaders. I pray that you would help our leadership arise that we would be a healthy, beautiful church that speaks to the beauty and the wonder of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.